I'd like you to turn in your Bible now with me to the book of 1 Samuel as we continue our study of the life of David. 1 Samuel chapter 21 is where we're going to start today, but I'm going to throw a little twist your way this morning because we're not only going to look at 1 Samuel 21, we're also going to study a passage of the New Testament that throws light on the story that we're going to read about David. So there are actually two passages that I want to read. First is 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. And then you'll, you, might, you might as well go ahead and find Mark chapter 2, Mark 2 in the New Testament, because that's going to be where we will be next. And in fact, we're going to spend most of our time in Mark chapter 2. So... Listen as I read, first of all, 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6, a story from the life of David. It says, Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us, as always, when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day that it is taken away. Now that story may be confusing, <laughs> but hold on, I will get to it and we will explain it a little bit better. Now turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 2, where this very story is referred to by Jesus, Mark 2, 23 through 28. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, that's Jesus that is. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we now ask that your Holy Spirit would give us insight into these two passages of Scripture that we might understand them and grow to know you, love you, and follow you because we've been together around your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
in his prayer today, Dan referred to these times as strange, (laughs) and they are. What a difference a year has made, right? Who would have thought a year ago that there would be a worldwide pandemic going on right now that would kill over 180,000 U.S. citizens? Or that schools and businesses would be locked down? Or that we would be having to wear a mask everywhere we go? Who would have thought a year ago that that would have ever crossed our mind? I doubt it. Well, a year made a huge difference in the ministry of Jesus, too. In Mark chapter 2, the second passage that I just read, Jesus is in his second year of his earthly ministry. Prior to this year that he was in, people had been flocking to Jesus. In fact, at the end of chapter 1, if you've got your Bible open, look at the very last couple of verses of Mark 1, it says that people were coming to him from every quarter. They were amazed at his teaching, at his ability to heal and his power over the demonic world. Well, earlier in chapter 2, the passage that I was reading, so many people were pressing together to see Jesus. He was in this house, if you remember that story, that men had to cut a hole in the roof to lower their paralyzed friend down to Jesus. The house was full of people and people were even outside the door trying to press their way in because they were amazed at Jesus. But a year later, Mark 3, verse 6, it says that the Pharisees held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus how to destroy him. What a difference a year has made in the ministry of Christ. My question is, and your question probably, is why the change? What pushed these Pharisees and these Jewish leaders over the edge like this? It was because of the way that Jesus treated the Sabbath day. And we're going to get into that right now and show you how that helps you to better understand the story that we read from the life of David. So let's focus first on this Mark passage. In this passage, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field of grain in uh, Capernaum. And they are hungry. They're famished. So what do they do? They pluck some heads of grain from the stalk and rub it between their hands and they begin to eat it. The problem is not that they were taking grain from someone's field. That was actually allowed by Jewish law. No, the problem was that it is the Jewish Sabbath day. Saturday, that is, the seventh day of the week the day that God had set aside for worship and rest and nurturing the soul. These Pharisees, and I'll tell you more about them shortly, see this happening and they ask Jesus, why are your disciples plucking and rubbing grain on the Sabbath? That's bad, that's wrong, they imply. Well, in Mark 3, if we took time to read this passage, I'm just going to tell you what happens. In Mark 3, just a few verses later, Jesus goes into the synagogue to worship with his disciples. And he ends up healing a man with a withered hand. It was paralyzed. And 
you know, unusable. He heals this man in the synagogue, and it is once again the Sabbath day. And that's the beginning of the end for Jesus Christ. He crossed the line. Now, we're going to talk about David eating the holy bread in just a few minutes, but we need to understand this story in Mark. And to help you understand what's going on, you need to know two things. You need to know, first of all, something about the Pharisees, and you need to know something about how the Pharisees viewed the Sabbath day. So let's talk first about the Pharisees. Who were they? They are mentioned in chapter 2, verse 24. Well, they were like a first century political action committee, you might say, with a religious spin. They were experts in Israel's laws and traditions. The word Pharisee actually means separated one. So the Pharisees were the self-appointed guardians of morality back then, and they had enormous power over the Jewish people. They had rules for everything and for everybody. Rules about washing, rules about clothing, rules about eating, rules about tithing, rules about worship, and rules about the Sabbath day. Now, how did they come up with these rules? Well, in the time of Jesus, there were two sets of laws for the Jews. There was Torah, which was the written law of Moses in the first five books of the Old Testament, summarized by the Ten Commandments. And there was the oral law, the oral law. The oral law got its start during the Babylonian captivity when thousands of Jews were exiled to Babylon back in the sixth century BC. The Jewish people saw their exile as God's punishment for their disobeying the Torah. And many of them earnestly turned back to God's law. The rabbis back then wrote these elaborate commentaries on the law, and these commentaries gave birth to oral traditions that were handed down from one generation to the next. These traditions were rules intended to build a hedge around the Torah and keep the people from sinning. An example of what I mean by this hedge, let's say, for example, that you see a sign on a park bench and it says, wet paint, do not touch. And you're concerned that somebody's probably going to walk over to that bench and touch the bench and get wet paint on their hands. So in order, in order to to build a hedge around that rule, you come up with another rule. And you post a sign that says, keep 20 feet away from the park bench. See, that would be like the oral law, a rule about a rule. Or another example that's very current to us in our culture, Seminole County has made a rule that you must wear a mask to prevent the spread of the coronavirus, right? We all know about that. Well, a Pharisee would say, oh, I'm concerned that people are going to get the coronavirus, even if they wear a mask. So I'm going to build a hedge around that rule. You must wear a beekeeper suit in order to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. That would be their rule about the rule, you see. That's exactly what the Pharisees did back in the time of Jesus. They loved rules about the rules. They believed that these rules were just as inspired as the law of Moses, and they called them the traditions of the elders. The Pharisees thought that these traditions would keep the people of that time pure and holy. 
Eventually, these traditions of the elders were put into writing in a book called the Mishnah. Have you ever heard of the Mishnah? Around 200 AD. Now, all of these Pharisees were not bad people. There are actually men mentioned in the New Testament who turned out to be people who feared God, who were Pharisees, people like Joseph of Arimathea, who gave his uh, tomb to Jesus after his death, people like Nicodemus, who eventually came to faith. Gamaliel is another Pharisee mentioned in the New Testament and mentioned favorably. But for the most part, these Pharisees dominated the religious landscape of Jesus's time, and they created most of the trouble for Jesus Christ. That's about the Pharisees. Now, second question you need to know is, how did the Pharisees view the Sabbath day? Well, the Pharisees, like all Jews, had a very high view of the Sabbath. Two things distinguished Jews from all other nations. Do you know what they were? Circumcision and the Sabbath day. Those two things were a badge of honor for the Jewish people, and they wore that badge with pride. Now, you need to understand that they considered the Sabbath as a good gift from God. It was a blessing. But over time, observing the Sabbath day became an end in itself rather than a means to the end of knowing God more intimately. Sabbath rules and regulations proliferated. It became nothing more than a long laundry list of do's and don'ts. You can do this, you can't do that. You can do this, you can do that. You better not do this, you better not do that because it's the Sabbath day. I mentioned the Mishnah a few minutes ago. The Mishnah contains a list of 39 things that you could not do on the Sabbath day. You wanna hear that list? Sowing, plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, cleansing crops, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing wool, washing or beating or dyeing wool, spinning, weaving, making two loops. You could make one loop, just don't make two loops. Weaving two threads, separating two threads, tying a knot. I bet some of you probably tied a knot this morning. You broke the Sabbath day. Loosening a knot, sewing two stitches, tearing in order to sew two stitches, hunting a gazelle. Did you go hunting gazelles this morning, anybody? Uh, slaughtering or flaying or salting a gazelle or curing its skin, scraping it or cutting it up, writing two letters, building, pulling down, putting out a fire, lighting a fire, striking with a hammer, and finally carrying anything from one place to another. All of those things were out of line for the Sabbath according to the traditions of the elders. Rules about rules about rules. Now, you know the fourth commandment, right? What's the fourth commandment, anybody? Honor the Sabbath day. Honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's right. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. Pretty simple, really. Pretty simple. According to the fourth commandment, Take a break. That's what the fourth commandment is. On the Sabbath day, on the Lord's day, take a break. The word Sabbath 
there's really not, not much mystery about it. It's the Hebrew word shavath, and it means to stop. Stop. Don't do any work. Stop working on the Sabbath. Take the day off. That's Torah. See, that's the rule. And it's a good rule, and that's what we should do on the Lord's Day, which is now Sunday, according to the New Testament. And we could talk about that some other time. But basically what I want you to see here is that the, the, uh, the rabbis added rules about the rules about the rules. That's why in Mark 2, the story I read about Jesus, when the Pharisees see Jesus and the disciples rubbing heads of grain in their hands, they accuse them of breaking the Sabbath. Why? Because they were reaping, threshing, and sifting three of the 39 rules listed in the Mishnah. And then in Mark 3, as I alluded to earlier, when Jesus heals that man with a withered hand, he was breaking the Sabbath also, according to them, because according to the Pharisees, you could heal somebody on the Sabbath day only in cases of dire emergency, like a matter of life or death. And clearly, this man's life was not in danger, so Jesus violated the Sabbath by healing him on the Sabbath day. He should have waited until the next day or the day after. Okay, got it? Now, let's, that's probably the world's record of sermon introductions. Because now what I want to do is dive into the text and show you two things. Two things, here's your outline. I want to talk first about the sin of the Pharisees and secondly, the authority of Jesus. The sin of the Pharisees and the authority of Jesus. So let's talk about the sin of the Pharisees. Did you notice how the Pharisees in this story in Mark 2 were watching Jesus and just waiting to see him fail? Chapter 2, verse 23 says, One Sabbath Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Verse 24, And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, and I read that as, Aha! <laughs> we gotcha. Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? You got to ask, where were the Pharisees? Well, they were right there. I could, I could just imagine them, you know, moving their way through the grain fields to watch Jesus, to have their eyes fixed on him and his disciples. They were like paparazzi. They were like journalists snooping around for a scandal. They were like highway patrol officers hiding around a curve, holding out a radar gun and pulling people over for going 56 in a 55 zone. See, that's what they were like. You know how you can tell if you're a Pharisee? You focus on other people's shortcomings more often than your own. Because you really think you're better than most other people. And you kind of enjoy it when other people slip up or fail or get caught because you're watching them, just like the Pharisees watched Jesus. That's how you can tell if somebody's a Pharisee. And another thing, another thing about Pharisees, they were very good with the little things, the little details, but lousy with the big things of the Christian life. One time Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because they tithed, they took 10% of their spices. Can you imagine that? Going in your spice cabinet 
and pouring out all of your spices on your countertop and counting them out and picking 10% of them and giving them to the church. Now, first of all, we don't need spice here at Grace Church, so don't do that. <laughs> but, but you see what they were doing. They were focusing on tithing their mint, dill, and cumin, but Jesus said they were neglecting the weightier matters of the law, namely justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You know, there are people, can I be honest with you? There are people in the body of Christ who read through the Bible every year, who say their prayers every day, who stay out of debt, who are faithful with tithes and offerings, who only watch PG movies, who tell people about Jesus and put fish symbols on their cars and are at church every time the doors open, but who are absolute jerks at work and around their neighborhood. And nobody wants to be around them because they are intimidating and impatient and harsh and unforgiving and bigoted and judgmental. Do you know anybody like that? I do. Those are the Pharisees of today. <laughs> Thanks, Allison. Absolutely. You're speaking for most of us, I suspect. These are the Pharisees of the day. They can check off every box, every box on the list of good behaviors that Christians do, but they are lousy at love, mercy, and grace. And Pharisees, friends, make God very angry. It says in Mark 3, 5 that Jesus looked around at these Pharisees with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Kevin DeYoung He's pastor of a big PCA church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Said one time that Jesus does not care if we get all the little things right, if we get all the big things wrong. Jesus is not saying, just so you know, to break the rules. He is not saying to ignore rules. He's not saying that the little things don't matter. They do. He is saying that God is not interested in your obedience to the rules when your life is marked by pride and hardness of heart. Rules, you see, don't make you right. They don't have power to change the heart. They might change your behavior, for a while anyway, but they cannot transform you from the inside out. For that, you and I need the gospel. We need the grace of God operating in here to change us from the inside out so that behavior becomes the fruit of heart change, not just outward conformity to a list of rules and regulations. But actually, the problem is not so much with the rules. So I want you to hear this. Rules are okay. What would life be like without rules? Well, look around in Portland and Seattle and other places where people are ignoring rules. Life without rules equals anarchy. So rules are okay. They help maintain order and peace and keep the machinery of civilization running. The Ten Commandments are God's rules intended for our benefit and the good of society. The problem's not with the rules. The problem is in here, in the human heart. 
There's a little bit of Pharisee inside every single one of us in this room. Mostly me. We love to create rules about the rules, and we love to apply those rules to everybody else but ourselves. We justify ourselves and we condemn others by setting up standards and then watching to see how well or how poorly people behave. I, for one, am a recovering Pharisee. I'm a rule keeper. When my family plays games, Monopoly, Trivial Pursuit, whatever, it's kind of a running joke in our house. I always want to read the rules to everybody even games that we know, even games that we've played a hundred times and we know the rules, I still like to turn the box top over and read the rules to everybody just to make sure we're all conforming to the rule box. You know, I'm all about rules. That may be fine when we're talking about games, but it's not so funny when I use my rules to hurt other people. And I've done that, sadly, many times to my wife, to my children, to people I've worked with, and to other people that I love. You know what I've learned? The heart of a rule keeper can be just as hard as that of a rule breaker. Maybe even harder. Because rule keepers think that they're right even when they're wrong. That's the first thing I want you to see in this passage, the sin of the Pharisees. The second thing I want us to see here is the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus. Look at uh, chapter 2 again, chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. Now this, okay, if you've been wondering, when is he going to get to the life of David? I thought this was a sermon series on the life of David. When are we going to talk about that experience back in 1 Samuel? Now we are, okay? (laughs) In Mark 2, 25 and 26, Jesus refers to that story. And he says, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest. Now, Abiathar, notice, is a different person from the one mentioned in 1 Samuel. That was Ahimelech. Don't sweat that. Don't worry about that. Abiathar was Ahimelech's son. So in some ways, they were kind of co-priests back in that day. So how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it's not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus is here appealing to scriptural precedent. And he's using a bit of sarcasm too. When he says, have you never read... That's a sarcastic comment by Jesus. He's saying, you mean you call yourselves experts in the law and you don't know your Old Testament history? In 1 Samuel 21, I'll give you the background. David, as you know, because now we're in, what, week four of our Life of David series, David has already been anointed king. Remember Samuel the prophet anointed him with oil and he has now been anointed as king of Israel, but he's not actually king yet. He's king-elect, you might say, because Saul is still on the throne. And Saul wants to what? He wants to kill David. He wants him out of the way. So David runs away. And in 1 Samuel 21, he runs to Nob, N-O-B, where the tabernacle was. 
and David is hungry. You see the parallel between 1 Samuel 21 and Mark 2? Samuel, uh, David is hungry, just like the disciples were hungry. So he says to the high priest, you got anything I can eat in this place? And the priest says, no, I'm so sorry, but we do have some holy bread. It's the bread of the presence. Now see, to understand that, let me just tell you that every Sabbath back in the Old Testament, the high priest had to put 12 freshly baked loaves of bread on a table inside the tabernacle. And this bread was only to be eaten by the priests, no one else. Those were the rules. Eating this holy bread, by the way, would have been a far worse breach of Sabbath law than what the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of in Mark 2. But the high priest gives David the bread and he eats it, and he shares it with his men, and he's not condemned for doing so because God said it was okay. God wasn't ignoring the rules. He wasn't creating an exception to the rules. He was simply saying, you know what? Sometimes there is a more important principle at stake behind the law. Love is the essence of the law. Meeting human need is more important than ritual. Similarly, Jesus is not breaking the Sabbath, nor is he defending breaking the Sabbath. He's simply teaching that the point of the law is love for God and love for neighbor. Loving God and loving others is always the point. And then Jesus says in chapter 2, verse 28, so the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Notice that title, Son of Man. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Do you know that Son of Man, it may not make a lot of sense to you and me, Son of Man. That was actually Jesus' favorite title for himself. He uses it 80 times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And 14 of those times are here in the book of Mark. It comes out of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 7. Now Daniel 7, if you don't know what that's going on, I'll tell you. In Daniel 7, Daniel says that he saw a vision of one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And Daniel even said about this son of man, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Isn't it interesting that Jesus takes that title from Daniel 7, son of man, and says, that's me. I am the son of man. For Jesus to take those words about the son of man from Daniel 7 and apply them to himself was equivalent to telling the Pharisees that he was God. Do you see? That's exactly right. Yeah, they call it blasphemy because exactly. That's right. They, they accused him of blasphemy because that was calling himself God. Do you see now why the Pharisees were so offended by Jesus? Not only was he breaking the rules about the rules, but he was making himself equivalent to God. This is the most shocking thing Jesus has said yet in the book of Mark. 
he is basically saying, I created the Sabbath day. It's my day, and I get to decide what is and is not appropriate to be done on my day. You're not the boss of me. I am the boss. I am the king. I'm the greater David. I am the son of man. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm not bound by your rules. You are bound by mine. I'm God, and you're not. Do you see that far from relaxing the rules about the Sabbath, Jesus is actually upping the ante and making the rules far more demanding? The Pharisees said, to keep the Sabbath day holy, you must not reap or thresh or sift grain. To keep the Sabbath day holy, you must not heal people with a withered hand. And Jesus comes back and says, Oh, no, Pharisees, you have missed the point entirely. That's way too easy. Anybody can do those things. To keep the Sabbath day holy, you must care about people who are hungry. You must be merciful and compassionate to those who are damaged goods. You must do good on the Sabbath. You must save life on the Sabbath. You must be people of mercy and grace. And nothing could be harder than that. Let me leave you with uh, one very practical takeaway, and then we'll be done. Never, okay, Grace Church, never, never lay rules about rules that you've come up with for yourself on other people. See, there's a difference between principle and command on the one hand and application on the other. Um, if you're concerned about someone else, let's say, you, you're concerned about what you see in their life, you're concerned about how they behave and what they're doing, and if you have chapter and verse, then go talk to that person. Share with him or her your concern. Point out God's word and say, here's what the, I understand the Bible to say, and I'm concerned because you're doing this or that. But if all you have is your preference, your tradition, your practice, don't go laying that down as the law of God for that person lest you become guilty of the same thing the Pharisees were doing in Mark 2. See, sometimes things are not black and white. There are gray areas. There are areas of freedom in the Christian life. Things like how you educate your children. Some people do it in homeschooling. Some do in Christian schooling. Some do it in public schooling. Don't make a rule about a rule about a rule about those things and say this is what you should be doing because this is what I'm doing. Things like how you celebrate holidays, Christmas, Halloween, or what movies are okay to see, or what kind of music you listen to, or what kind of music is appropriate for worship. Boy, that's an issue that divides churches all the time. Or how you spend your time and money. And what you do with the Sabbath question is one of those gray areas. We might agree, I hope we do, that Sunday is special. I hope we all agree that there is a Sabbath principle because it's still one of the Ten Commandments. But how you choose to honor the Sabbath day might be a little bit different from how I choose to honor it. And so we need to be respectful of one another in those kinds of areas. Remember what I said earlier. 
What matters most is what? Love. Love for God and love for neighbor are always the point of the law. Let's pray. Father, I want you please to forgive me for being a recovering Pharisee. I've still got a long way to go. And maybe all of us do to some extent. So forgive us, Father, for trying to get all the little things right, but ignoring the big things. Forgive us for making up rules about the rules while conveniently overlooking the weightier matters of the law. Help us, Holy Spirit, to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning into Grace Church's sermon. We truly hope that the sermon edified you today and brought you closer to the Lord. For more information on Grace Church, visit us at gracearp.org. That's gracearp.org. If you'd like to visit us, our address is 1111 Tuscawilla Road, Winter Springs, Florida, 32708. Again, that's 1111 Tuscawilla Road, Winter Springs, Florida, 32708. We now pray that God will bless you as you go forward to bring his word to the world. And as always, we will see you next time here at Grace. Thank you.